Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. Welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid-Sikich. My co-host for today is Deborah Wood. Hello. And we have the lovely Kelly Guerra here as guest vocalist today. Uh, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of those who have been tuning in. I've gotten great feedback about the podcast so far. And if you've shown me love by listening and spreading the word, then thanks so much for that. And if you haven't, then what are you even doing? As I like to say, if you like what we're doing here, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies because any publicity is good publicity. (laughs) So today I'm really excited that we are talking about the Schubert song Gretchen am Spinrade with the text by Goethe. So Deb, are you ready? I'm set. Buckle up because we're going in. (laughs) (laughs) About to drop some knowledge. So this text is by Goethe. He wrote the text of many other Schubert songs, uh, over 40, I think. But I don't want to dive too deep into uh, Goethe land today because the story of um, Gretchen, which I'm just going to say the English Gretchen, uh, is enough material to cover. And I'm sure that we're going to be talking specifically about Goethe in depth at another point in time. So I'll today just give you and your bird there some basic (laughs) Goethe knowledge. (laughs) My tiny bird is joining us for the podcast. And let's hope he behaves. Yeah, Burb. Sir Burb, meet everyone. (laughs) (laughs) He's silent at this point in time. Okay, so basic Goethe knowledge. Goethe was born in August of 1749. August birthday buddy for me. (laughs) Uh, He had interest in many different fields, but unlike the poet uh, Wilhelm Müller that we covered, um, he, uh, Goethe, took each one to its furthest conclusion. Um, He studied and wrote about anatomy and botany. He wrote a book called The Theory of Colors, um, and it's about the poet's view on the nature of colors and how they're perceived by humans. Later, proven that his ideas weren't so right on, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, He was also a managing director at the theater at Weimar. Um, He was famous for his literary work by the time he was 25, and this was due to his novel, I think you might be familiar with this, Deb, The Sorrows of Young Werther, published in 1774. I think, didn't you do a Werther opera scene when you were, yeah. And I called it Werther. (laughs) I did. I got cast, so I, like, I didn't, this is a funny story, actually. So I got cast as the lead for Werther, which is what I thought at the time. (laughs) But I had not wanted to do opera scenes. Like, it was finally my senior year, and, like, my voice teacher was like, you have to do it. And I was like, 
okay, fine. She was like, you know, it looks bad. You're like a vocal performance major, blah, 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 blah. And so we like, everyone gets the list and I like walk by casually and I'm like, were there? I like walk into like the head of the opera scenes and I was like, what's Werther? And she literally, it looked like she was going to go into cardiac arrest. She was like, do you mean Werther? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I think I did mean that, but also Werther? And she's like, no. I was like, so yeah, and then that's when I broke my arm the three days before oh. the performance and I had to wear a full arm cast In- during the performance as well. L-O-L. Yeah, so that happened. I'm dying. Okay, I thought you were familiar with it. I didn't realize that story was yeah. going to come out, so glad we covered yeah. that. So I don't know if you know this, but um, the novel uh, that Goethe published, it was just a smashing success. Even Napoleon carried a, co- a copy of it Ooh. with him. Yeah, it was considered to be like one of the first like national bestsellers. Um, but as you probably know, the main character in it commits suicide. And it later on led to a lot of copycat suicides. So there was a lot of like debate over whether this novel was actually a good thing because they were finding people who had killed themselves like with pockets, with uh, copies of it, like in their pocket or they were probably like, because it's like this tragic love story and they're probably like relatable. I'm also going to die. (laughs) Um, So I'm not going to say anything more about a Verter or (laughs) affectionately Werther um, uh, in this. I'm not going to say any more about it in this episode because we'll probably cover it in depth like there's a lot of interesting material there anyway um so uh Goethe was a real romantic poet and uh he later though because he was always evolving and developing and and pushing the boundaries he grew um pretty tired um and of the ideals that he had in some of his early works and he even went on to denounce um the romantic movement as everything that is sick which is really interesting oh there's burb burb has something to say about that that's kind of interesting. Um, Goethe was insanely prolific. Um, do you remember Rellstab? I don't know if you remember yes. that poet. And he um, was just always trying to recreate the same success yeah. over and over again. Well, Goethe was the exact opposite. He was always trying new things. When he felt like he had mastered one style to a satisfying degree, he went on to the next style and tried to master that. Um, the most complete edition of Goethe's work fills 143 different volumes. So oh my just word. like, yeah, massive output. He was just trying to like write an encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> like life goal. Yeah. But I, well, and he had a really long life too, which is something that didn't often happen to these kinds of like poets and composers back in the day. A lot of times they died early, like Schubert, Mozart, you know, um, they had issues and the fact that he lived for so long and that he was so intent on pushing himself meant that we just have this massive output, which is awesome for us. Um, so our text for um, Gretchen am Spinnerade, which is our song for today, um, the text comes from Faust, part one. So let's talk about Faust for one second. I did not realize this, but the actual ca- character of Faust was real. Like, I had no clue. I thought it was just like this made up thing, but uh, he wasn't. He was born around 1483. As a reference, Martin Luther was also born in 1483. So gives you a little idea of yes. who was... Uh, uh, scampering around the, the earth around that time. Of the yeah. Reformation era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like uh, Faust was the exact opposite of everything that was. And you will find out why. Uh, he was a medical student and also studied divinity. 
But because he lived in a very superstitious time, he was able to sort of capitalize on that and began making his name as a magician and astrologer, which honestly sounds like a good time. And I also would like to party like that. Uh, He just made his career out of combining those things. Um, At the time, magic was a topic that one could study at university. So like, honestly, real life Hogwarts. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, and he went to Poland to study there, to study magic there, which I only mention because one of my dearest friends is from Poland. Hi, Agnieszka. <laughs> I don't think she actually listens to the podcast, but if she ever does, there will be that little Easter egg for her. Uh, fun fact about Faust, he was disparaging of the miracles of Jesus and basically said that anything Jesus could do, I can do better. So this properly scandalized his formerly mentioned contemporary Martin Luther. Uh, Also, continuing on this list of fun, lighthearted facts about the real-life historical Faust, he was hired to teach at a school, but ended up molesting the boys and had to flee the city in order to escape. Sounds like a great, like, step in for Jesus. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got this Jesus thing Oh, I can do anything Jesus can do and molest children. I don't know how (laughs) he ended up putting those things together, but that's where he ended up. That's horrifying. Yeah. Another time while teaching in Leipzig on Homer, it was reported that he had actually like conjured the heroes, Homer's heroes in the flesh. So, I mean, whether this actually happened or not, who is to say, but what I do know is his response to that. Um, and he said, this is chilling, actually. I have gone further than you think and have pledged myself to the devil with my own blood to be his in eternity, body and soul. Oh, my gosh. Like, he's not messing around. Um, He said that he could not come back to God or console himself with God's grace. So because of those comments, he again had to flee the city that he was teaching in. Uh, The year was 1525, and this time he escaped on a barrel. Uh, So, like, I think he maybe, like, rode it on a river. I don't really know. Again, it sounds like he knows how to party. So, like, I'm kind (laughs) of curious, like. Yeah. Um, Also, around this time, people say that the devil uh, began to accompany him in the form of a dog, which is interesting. Um, He did do a few crazy things like accurately foretelling the futures of a few different people. So that seemed to kind of like like add to the whole myth, like he was this really, you know, bad character, but also was speaking some truth, um, which... I just, I think, made the whole myth really just explode. Um, He is supposed to have died in 1540 in Staufen im Breisgau, which is in the very southwest of Germany. So uh, the first book about Faust appeared in 1587. I think that's like almost 50 years after he died, right? Um, And, oh, you're going to love this. So um, the title of this book. Are you ready? Like, just I'm all like, set. Don't hold your breath okay. to make it all the way through this because this is something. The title of the first book written about Faust is called "Historia of Doctor Johann Faust, the widely acclaimed magician and black artist. How he pledged himself to the devil for a certain time. What strange adventures he saw meanwhile, brought about and pursued until he finally received his well-deserved wages." compiled and prepared for the printer in several parts out of his own literary remains as a horrible example and sincere warning for all conceited, clever, and godless people. James <laughs> 4, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Cum gratia et privilegio, printed in Frankfurt on Main by Johann Spies. Nice. End title. 
That's amazing. <laughs> Is that not the most epic title ever? I yeah. got a kick out of that. So uh, that was the first book written about Faust. And then after that, just like all these different versions of uh, biographies and just stories about him came out. Goethe, though, spent several decades working on his novel about Faust, which was not supposed to be like actually biographical, but was, you know, a completely fantasized um, picture of this character. Um, the early version of Goethe's Faust started to come around into being in 1773, but he kept tweaking it over the next three decades. He published an early version of it. Uh, and then ultimately published the final version of his part one in 1808. And remember, that's around the time of Schubert, right? Mm -hmm. um, so Faust has two parts. The second part was not finished until a few months before Goethe died. And then it was published in 1832 after he died. In uh, Goethe's Faust, he writes in all sorts of different styles in the book. It really is like this crazy journey. I highly recommend it. I thought it was going to be a dense read. And when I picked it up, I was like, oh my gosh, as a leader pianist, this is something. And just kind of a general person who likes to know knowledge. <laughs> I was like, no I, knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> give me knowledge. Um, I, I was like, I, I really need to, to, to read this book. Uh, so I thought it was going to be difficult, but it was 100% enjoyable. Well, okay, like maybe 95% enjoyable. There were a few parts that were uh, a little bit uh, tricky to get through. Uh, people forget that there actually is quite a lot of humor in Faust. It has a lot of light verse in it. Um, and it's, yeah, it, there, I found myself laughing out loud a couple of times. Um, so let's get into the story. Keep in mind, I am a greatly abridging this, and this is just part one, okay? We're not going to talk at all about part two, because part one is the only part that pertains to our song for today. Um, is there another song for part two? You know, I think that Schumann wrote, um... Uh, on text from Faust from that's from part two so things have been written on it but I don't I can't give any more specifics other than that Got and it. that's just what I remember um okay right so keep in mind I'm greatly abridging this um right for the sake of keeping this episode under four hours I will be leaving a lot of stuff out but also quick side note when I was a kid I was in a book club and uh, I had to write book reports, and I remember one time the teacher telling my mom, oh, Mandy's the only student in class, and I was like six years, Mandy's uh, six years old, Mandy's the only student in class whose book report is longer than the book. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's really funny. Now for a report that is shorter than the actual book. <laughs> Are you ready? I am set. Okay. I'm so excited. So Faust begins with a dedication where Faust talks about what's in his head as he sits in his study. He's like, basically, nothing on earth can make him happy. He's learned all that there is to learn. It's not enough. Blah, 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 that sort of thing. Uh, cut to a prologue in heaven where God is chatting it up with the angels, Raphael, Michael, and Gabriel, which sounds oddly uh, close to the names of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Turtles. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm so lost right now. <laughs> like, what is happening? Um, God is talking with the angels Raphael, Michael, and Gabriel. But isn't it Michael Michelangelo? Aren't they supposed to be? Yeah, but isn't Michael just short for Michelangelo? I guess so, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
this party continues with the angels and God in heaven, and Mephistopheles, otherwise known as the devil, enters. Not surprisingly, Mephistopheles, who we'll call Mephisto for short, and God get into a disagreement over the nature of reason in humanity, and they end up making a wager. The devil says that he will be able to lead Faust astray from God, and God agrees to allow Mephisto to do this, as long as Mephisto agrees to admit he is wrong when Faust proves to be able to attain both understanding and peace of mind. So the wager is set, and Mephisto gets to work on Faust. Which, what does that remind you of? Job? Exactly. So we cut back to Faust in his... Just dropping knowledge over yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, so we cut back to Faust in his dank old study, and he is preparing to commit suicide because he's just over it. The it being life. He is 50 years old, and he is miserable because of the limitations of human understanding. He's mastered all academic disciplines, and nothing has brought him lasting happiness. So again, he's just over it. Uh, which is funny because, uh, according to the story, his troubles haven't even begun. At the last minute, he hears Easter bells and decides not to go through with it. Uh, the next day in his study, Mephisto finally reveals himself to Faust as the mysterious black dog that's been following him around. And remember, that was part of the myth. Like, yeah. yeah. Mephisto starts following Faust around in human form and eventually takes him to a witch's lair where Faust drinks a potion that makes him appear 30 years younger. The entire time, Faust has been saying how there is nothing on earth to make him truly happy. Uh, but Mephisto promises that there is something out there. They make a deal. Uh, and this deal is where Mephisto will ensure that Faust is able to experience anything and everything that he could possibly desire. But if he experiences even one mo moment of true contentment in it, his soul will belong to the devil and he will serve the devil body and soul in the afterlife. So this is where we get the idea of like the Faustian pack. Like you sell your soul to the devil in exchange for experience or whatever it is, the thing that you're wanting. This is what Faust wants most is to find that moment of like true happiness and contentment. So not long after this, Faust sees Gretchen or Gretchen uh, in the street and immediately recognizes her as the girl he's been having visions about. He tries to talk to her, but she won't have it. Uh, Faust commands Mephisto to obtain her for him, but Mephisto says that Gretchen is so pure that he has no power over her. They must carefully strategize if Faust is to successfully seduce her. So Mephisto goes and gets some like shiny jewels to tempt uh, Gretchen with. Um, so that evening, they visit Gretchen's room while she's out. And Faust thinks for a second, you know, maybe I don't want to seduce this very pure being. He's like having like a tiny moment of regret, but that only lasts for a mi uh, minute. Um, and he decides to leave the jewels that Me uh, Mephisto had found for him uh, in an attempt to corrupt uh, Gretchen. And then he runs out. Gretchen comes back and sees the jewels and... I poor sweet naive Gretchen she doesn't wonder like oh where did these come <laughs> from she just like sees them and she she's so excited about them she starts trying them on but eventually her mother finds them and her mother is woke to the evils of the world and she says no no these cannot have come from anywhere good so she takes them to a priest um, Faust then commands Mephisto to find more jewels 
And again, he leaves these for Gretchen, and they're even more shiny, more blingy than the first set. And Gretchen, though, she's learned this time. She's like, I'm not going to show these to my mom. So she takes them to her friend's house. Oh, what a little sneak. I know. She is sneaky. Maybe not so pure. Yeah, I was like, that doesn't sound that pure. She just got two sets of jewels, and she's already, like, (laughs) turned. Right. So she goes to her friend's Martha's uh, house, and uh, they're, like, you know, talking about the jewels. And uh, while they're there, Mephisto appears and, and, and delivers this message that Martha's husband is dead and says, oh, hey, and also, Gretchen, maybe you should find a boyfriend. At the same time, he delivers these two pieces <laughs> of information. Martha appears not to be too worked up by the news that her husband is dead, but she just wants testimony. Yeah, she just got, like, her the rest of her <laughs> life's, like, wages. She wants testimony that he actually is dead so that she can remarry. Uh, That's what she's concerned about. So Mephisto says, oh, hey, I have this friend who was there when your husband died. Oh, and he might be a good boyfriend for Gretchen. Enter Faust. So later on in Martha's garden, the four pair off. Uh, Martha's with uh, Mephisto and Faust is with Gretchen. Gretchen starts telling him all about herself and he's struck by her love for her younger sister. She had nursed her younger sister and brought her up, but her sister had eventually died. And I think that this moment might be the only time that he feels like genuine love for Gretchen when he sees like her true nature and the love and like this, the selfless care that she had for her sister. Um, But it's, not enough to turn him, not enough to make him uh, go back on his lustful plan. So uh, Gretchen, on the other hand, is becoming entirely smitten, and she just believes him to be so noble that someone who carries himself the way that he does must be very important, and that she's really lucky to have found a man that would be interested in a simple girl like her. So uh, they kiss in the garden and they part ways because uh, at this point Gretchen starts getting nervous and doesn't want her mother to see her with him. So I think that she knows at this point on some level that Faust is bad news because she doesn't want her mother to see him. So like she's, I think she's kind of choosing like, I am, I am going to walk down this path. Something doesn't quite feel right to her, but you know, like I get it. He's there with the devil giving him counsel. He's super crafty (laughs) at this moment in time. Right. Yes. (laughs) Um, So cut to Gretchen's room. This is the scene that our song, the text for our song is drawn from. So just kind of earmark this. Gretchen is sitting alone at her spinning wheel and she expresses that she has lost herself. Her peace is gone and her heart is heavy. She is in a haze. She agonizes over the fact that she's obsessed with him. And it's Faust alone who she's looking out for. She admires and nearly worships his physical attributes and gets worked into a near frenzy when she thinks about his kiss. She feels guilty over her physical arousal and passion for him, but she wants it for sure. She's, <laughs> she's walking down this road. <laughs> um, change scene. Faust and Gretchen are talking, and eventually the topic comes up that Faust wants to sleep with her. Gretchen says that she would leave her door unbolted for him, but she's scared her mother would hear and discover them. So Faust says, here, take this potion I have in my pocket. It will put your mother into a deep sleep. He says it is harmless, but when Gretchen gives it to her mother, it actually kills her. Ooh. (laughs) So the plot has thickened. How unfortunate. Yes. At this point, we are to assume that Gretchen and Faust have intercourse because the next scene, Gretchen is at a well with her friends and uh, Gretchen is pregnant. 
they're talking about a mutual friend that they have who also got pregnant and was later abandoned. Okay, can we just... I just feel like if someone was like, oh, don't worry, this will just, like, it's like a NyQuil. <laughs> and then, like, my mom ended up dead. Like, I, pr- that'd be a mood kill for me. Like, I'd probably well, be like, Well, yeah, I don't think she happening. realized. I think her mom just never woke up. I think she gave it to her mom, and they're like, oh, good, mom's sleeping. They have sex. She finishes up. Mom never wakes up. Got it. That's how I imagine it went. Did your bird just poop on you? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> do you need a minute by the way he's not pooped on me yet so i think he likes me better yes definitely (laughs) okay uh back to gretchen at the well so gretchen has sympathy for the mutual friend that's ended up pregnant because she now understands how easy it is to have been seduced and then consequently abandoned oh so then he leaves her yep faust has not turned up recently She goes to pray to the mother of sorrows, Mary. She's abandoned. She's alone. She does not have her mother for support. And being that she is pregnant, Gretchen is also a mother of sorrows type as well. In the next scene, we see Gretchen's brother Valentine outside of her door, and he's heard rumors about her affair. He is waiting there in the hopes that Faust will appear and will kill Faust upon seeing him. So Faust and Mephisto appear. Uh, Faust has come by again because he wants another hookup. He's not worried about Gretchen. He just wants to have sex again. So Valentine challenges Faust at the door, but Valentine loses and dies. As he's dying, Gretchen comes out, sees her brother, and his last words to her are actually really severe. Like, it's pretty heartbreaking. Um, the next scene... Wait, what are they? Um, I can find them really fast. I'm like, I need to know. <laughs> You will no longer show your skill at dances, donning bow and frill, but in dark corners on the side with beggars and cripples you'll seek to hide. And even if God should at last forgive, be cursed as long as you may live. And then she says, my brother, this is agony. And he says, I tell you, do not bawl at me. When you threw your honor overboard, you pierced my heart more than the sword. Now I shall cross death's sleeping span to God, a soldier and an honest man. Okay, that's traumatizing. Yeah, so um, there's no forgiveness there for her from her brother. Uh, In the next scene, Gretchen is in a cathedral where she's gone to ask forgiveness, um, but an evil spirit is whispering in her ear, reminding her that she's pregnant, and it's because of her sin that her mother and her brother are dead. It's all because of her. It's all her fault. Like, completely taking, like, Faust's role and the devil's role, you know, in this. Um, between the spirit hissing in her ear and the choir and the congregation singing a Dies Irae, <laughs> uh, the emotional intensity just overwhelms her and she passes out. A while later, we encounter Mephisto and Faust fighting in a field on a gloomy day. Faust finds out that Mephisto has been hiding Gretchen's torments from him and he cries out to him to save her, which is just like, really, dude? <laughs> too little, too late. Uh, Mephisto retorts, who was it that plunged her into ruin? But in the end, they decide to go to Gretchen and rescue her from prison. Um, So we don't know at this point why exactly Gretchen's in prison. But we uh, in the next scene, we see her there and she's lost her mind, um, both from her imprisonment, but also from her guilt. She doesn't even recognize Faust and thinks that he is the ex- executioner when he comes in to save her. He, she thinks that he's the executioner who has come to carry out her sentence for having killed her newborn baby. 
Um, suddenly, she realizes who Faust is. But when he says that he's come to rescue her, she won't go with him. She says she knows she will have no peace in life because of her sins and that she's ready to face her punishment. Mephisto encourages Faust to leave Gretchen for she is condemned, which Mephisto is actually fairly gleeful about. Um, but right after he says that, a voice from heaven calls down that she is saved. Oh, ha ha. Literally the last words of, the, of Faust part one is, is saved <laughs> like, like ringing down from God heaven. coming in with the oh. wind <laughs> yeah um so uh that's the whole first part of faust which we did pretty like honestly i'm super impressed with myself likewise <laughs> pat um yale back um schubert probably read faust around the time that schubert was 17 and he set the text for the poetry the day after he first read the text. He just fell in love with Goethe's poetry, um, but we'll follow up with all that Schubert-Goethe-related stuff in another episode. Oh, here's an interesting tidbit. Schubert never saw an actual production of Faust, and neither did Goethe. It's actually hard to do. It's it's a hard uh, play to stage because it has, like, all these random, like, really epic scenes which just are difficult to pull off so it was never staged during Goethe's life um okay so the text um that Schubert set um I will read you my translation remember it's from the scene when Gretchen is in her room it's right before they're about to have she's waiting for him essentially to come she hasn't given her mother the poison yet they haven't had sex yet so here's the poem my peace is gone my heart is heavy. I find it never, never more. Where I don't have him, there is my grave. The entire world is spoiled to me. My poor head is crazy. My poor mind is torn apart. My peace is gone. My heart is heavy. I find it never and never more. His lofty gait, his noble figure, the smile of his mouth, the power of his eyes, and his speech's magic flow, the press of his hand, and ah, his kiss. My peace is gone, my heart is heavy. I find it never and never more. My bosom surges for him alone. Ah, that I could fasten and hold him and kiss him as I would like to. From his kisses I should die. That's oh, is that yeah. Okay, okay. I was like, wait, are we Which I, I mean, I think the fact that she says, and from his kisses I should die, it's, well, essentially she does. That's yeah. ultimately what ends up happening. Um, so I'm going to, do you have any questions before I move over to the piano? No. Okay. So Schubert set this poem in a very interesting way. Um, many people know this song because of this specific figure. That's the spinning wheel um, that Gretchen's sitting at. So the entire time for this entire song, the spinning wheel doesn't stop spinning except for one time. I think that that's actually pretty brilliant for such a young composer. Remember, Schubert was only 17 when he set this. Um, for him to have captured that this one specific figure would be the basis of the entire song, um, it's pretty remarkable. So that serves as a spinning wheel all throughout. And you'll hear it in different places. It starts out here. 
but then later on it's here. So um, he kind of moves it around a bit according to what's happening. Um, also, uh, in the opening, you're going to hear the left hand um, doing two other distinct figures. So the left hand is the heartbeat. But also, the left hand's playing this sort of lower bass fate sort of theme. So if you put that all together with the spinning wheel, the heartbeat, and the fate theme, it sounds like this. I think with Schubert opening the song like this, it sucks us into the drama like immediately. Um, I'm going to have Kelly actually um, sing here for us a bit. She's just going to sing the opening phrase and then um, Kelly, I'll stop. Um, and I just want you to get kind of this general effect, like how the song starts. really gets me because um, it seems like her mind is just like fluttering like oh this this da, 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 you know like and then like her heart's racing and then below like you said below all of it it's kind of like it doesn't really matter what those things are doing because like what will happen is going to happen yeah I think that's it you exactly hit the nail right on the head all of those things but uh, the reason you're able to hit that nail on the head is because Schubert was so brilliant with the way yeah. that he set this yeah. um, I think that you know, we start out in this sort of general haze. She's confused, right? This minor key gives us the idea that there's something more at stake than just her losing her virginity. It's her, like, sense of identity. She's always been chaste. She'd always been pure. But now there's something more ominous at play and even more ominous than she realizes. On some level, she knows she's not supposed to tell her mom. Her not mom's not supposed to know that this is happening. But I don't think she realizes the depths to which, like, the devil actually is, like, trying to get get his claws into this situation and she's just like in the way I mean he wants what he wants is he wants Faust because he wants to prove God wrong and Gretchen just happens to be an innocent bystander that will help him accomplish he thinks will help him accomplish him winning his wager against God um so uh the interesting thing is that as she's wondering about all these things, she's saying, you know, where when I don't have him, that's the grave to me. Um, my poor head, it's crazy, and my mind is just torn apart. Um, when she talks about Faust is where it goes into the major. It totally shifts, and we feel like we're in a different world. And you can hear... Um, you can hear Schubert sort of paint this idealized um, vision that Gretchen has of Faust. Um, Kelly, could we do that together? Yeah. We're going to start from before that shift into that major. We're going to start where she's still confused about after uh, about pining after him. Um, let's go from the Nachim. <laughs> Ach, 
<laughs> sorry to stop you there. Well, because I wanted to say before we got to that next part, so you can hear how it totally shifted. We felt like we were in a different part. It's just really interesting to me how, I guess when I'm listening to this, what's coming across to me is how they had like these arranged marriages and everything was really bus- like a business transaction. Um, but then in like the real life, it was like that. But then in art or music, it totally was portraying this like side of humanity that's like, you know, a young girl like falling in love for the first time and not having any sort of like wherewithal to be able to handle that or know what to deal, like how to deal with it. And then it also at the same time, like on another layer is like perpetuating kind of the story of, you know, like the young woman falling for this guy and like being totally at his mercy. And then like how kind of ridiculous the female looks in that scenario. And it's like relatable because of the societal, like this was happening when, like in the 1800s, the programming over such a long period of time. And I don't know, I guess I just feel a bit, is indignant the right word? I'm like, yeah, I'm just like a little frustrated because I'm like, oh, you're walking into this like death trap and at the same time it's being like glamorized by artists. So. Yeah, I I think <laughs> Kelly's over here like cheering like behind the piano. <laughs> um I think that's exactly right, but I think it through this we see how grotesque yeah. how grotesque it is though. Mm-hmm. It's like we you see how innocent Gretchen was and actually ultimately she's what sort of ends up saving him later on like kind of like her spirit in in part two like faust ultimately does get saved um and it's her it's because of her purity and her she she was the one in the end of part one who made the hard decision faust was there to like oh i'm gonna i quote air quotes rescue you but she's like no i am here to accept my consequences to accept which is the far nobler thing to do. She was the one who was strong. She was the one who was brave. Like at the end, she was the one who showed the more noble colors. It kind of made me be like, yes. Like the, you know, the devil this whole time was like, oh, just like a a bystander that I'm like getting into like my, like down into hell with me. But then like the whole time they were using this girl and God's like, yeah, no, that's not happening. You know what I mean? Like she's going to heaven. She's saved. And I'm just like, yeah. Well, um, so this whole thing where you say like she's being deceived and all that, where she's be- she's believing him to be noble and that his smile has power and that um, she even talks about his speech being magical. And Schubert set that in a way that's really sexy. I think Graham Johnson pointed it out again, Graham Johnson with his um, volumes on Schubert. Um, if you care about Leader at all, Schubert, you you must read the Graham Johnson volumes. Um, he wrote on every single song that Schubert ever composed. Um, Graham Johnson pointed out this marvelous detail about this sort of really sexy way of setting when she talks about um, uh, Faust's magically flowing speech. Um, Kelly, do you want to sing that with me? Mm-hmm. And then after she talks about that magic flowing speech, she gets more and more worked up and she's, she talks about his hand press. And then he, he, she says, ah, ah, his kiss. And that's when it goes up really high. We have this climax. And then she lives in that climax for a second, which is, you know, foreshadowing of actual climax to come. Um, and a not-so-subtle sexual reference. 
There it is, ladies and gents. We talk about sex when we talk about Schubert. Actually, I have to say, with my teacher in London, I don't think there was ever a time we ever talked about any leet where sex didn't come up because everything is always surging with this sort of like sexual energy and there's like double entendre everywhere. And so there's two ways of seeing. Like she could be talking about his kiss or later on she talks about passing away from his kisses. Um, she wants to die from them, which we know she, later on that she does, but she also, we also are meant to understand that uh, orgasm by that. Like, yeah. it would have been understood in the day with that language that the Fergian that she says means to orgasm. Like, it's an orgasmic connotation. So after she has this climactic kiss in the middle of the song, the, every, the motion stops but slowly the spinning wheel starts up again. So we're going to do that section of it for you right now. What is it, just I know that I'm only making two connections right now, or one connection between two things, but uh, Sleeping Beauty, the the spinning wheel, and then this, like, is there a lot of, seems like there's a lot of folklore surrounded with women and bad things and spinning wheels. <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah, actually, that's a great question. I don't know. Yeah, someone needs to follow up on that. <laughs> so a piece of knowledge I do not know. I must now find out. I have a quest. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to do this little section for you, and we're going to go through where the spinning wheel starts up again. We're going to start where she's talking about his noble walk, or his, his um, tall, lofty walk and his noble figure. You want to just start on the Zainkoa? Sein Hochgang, seine edle Gestalt, seines Mundes right um the the next point of utmost effectiveness is where she starts talking about my bosom like sea um surges and heaves for him and she would like to take him and hold him and just kiss him and if she could kiss him how she would want to she would pass away from these kisses and in the piano schubert sets this really really insistent bass line <laughs> that's coming to mind is that um you know how the whole point of this podcast is kind of to transcend you know the ages and time with art and it being relatable to now I feel like this is a totally just like on the sexual um kind of vein of thought um I feel like this we've cheapened sex so much in like our current like culture and like the songs even like I'm sitting here thinking about like all the the text painting and how like it's just so passionate and like how the 
the girl is like, oh, I want to kiss and like all this stuff. And I just like, now we're like singing songs about like twerking in the club. And I just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it just is so cheap. You know what I mean? It's like drinking like this really nice like glass of wine with like this steak dinner and like all these sides and like dessert after. And then like, I just feel like now it's just like some cheap, I don't know, beer. <laughs> like that we're playing at like a beer pong party. Like that, like that's what I feel like. I I love that way of thinking about it. And it's, it's interesting though, because I think in both, I think that there's an unhealthy, there can be an unhealthy bent in either of those. Yeah, for sure. Right? For sure. Um, and that's interesting to think about, that these are like two kind of extreme, like, you know, kind of like twerking in the club versus like this epic setting that we have with Schubert. But both are somehow, they've missed the point. Somehow they're both unhealthy, yeah. um, which is, I, uh, well... I don't mind too much, really, because now we have these awesome songs, yeah. whether from the 1800s or from, you know, uh, the 2000s. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. After we have that major climax, and that's the actual sexual, like the actual, I think, orgasm, I'm going to leave that for when we actually do a performance of the piece so it really lands. Um, and, but after that happens, the spinning wheel just takes over again. It's just so interesting how like this scene could have not even happened, you know, the way it starts and ends, it's, ex it's the same. It's like, we've just like sort of entered into this universe where this is always happening. And then obsession, like, I don't know if you guys have experienced it, but when I have, <laughs> not like outing myself right now, but it really doesn't matter what I'm doing. Like it's like this low level or high level, depending on like what else I have to be interacting with, but it's always there. It's literally just like, da, 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 like this. Yeah, exactly. And I just, um, the way that Schubert set this, it's so electrically charged and it gets so much to the point. Um, I think that it's not so much of a stretch to think that Schubert might've been relating to Gretchen, like with this sexual awakening. And that's why he could not wait to set it. He read the poetry and he just, it was a really attractive text to him because I think he might've been experiencing that same sort of thing. He could just really get right to the point. I did want to just finish this before we do a performance of the piece for you. Um, so remember, Schubert wrote this, he was only 17, but he returns to this text later in life when he's dying, actually just a few months before he dies, and he writes this really, really sad um, bit in a letter where he refers to this text, um, and I'm going to read that to you. Okay, he says, Imagine a man whose health will never be right again, and who in sheer despair over this ever makes things worse and worse instead of better. Imagine a man, I say, whose most brilliant hopes have perished, to whom the felicity of love and friendship have nothing to offer but pain at best, whom enthusiasm for all things beautiful threatens to forsake. And I ask you, is he not a miserable, unhappy being? Meine Ruhe ist hin, mein Herz ist schwer. Ich finde sie nimmer und nimmer mehr. My peace is gone, my heart is heavy, I shall find it never and never more. I may well sing every day now, 
For each night on retiring to bed, I hope I may not wake again, and each morning but recalls yesterday's grief. So he was really relating to this text um, near the end of his life, which is really tragic. Um, But we will now do a live performance of Franz Schubert's Gretchen am Spinnerade.
um, Brian, can we just move that mic for Kelly to um, talk a little bit? Because I just want to give her, I just want her to give her experience of like singing this, or should she talk into here? Um, let's talk into that one. Okay. Um, do you mind just coming over here for a second? Because I, yeah, so we'll just kind of have to go back and forth. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go like this because it's, it's like super awkward. Um, I thank you, Kelly, so much for coming out and singing for us. So beautiful. It's really a pleasure to work with you. And um, you give so much to your performance. And you give so much to the text that as a pianist, like I get really excited to play and I hear new things and it's a lot of energy. So thank you. I feel the same. Oh, man, I keep falling. Okay. Thank you. I feel the same way. Um, I, I think really we bounce off of each other's energy so well. I'm um, Recently, I heard Mandy in concert with a featured singer, Tyler Reese, um, and the way that Mandy just gives the text via her fingers is the craziest thing to me, and it's just, it's an energy that I really feel, so it's mutual. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really such appreciate it. Such <laughs> I am a tiny human, and Kelly is also very tiny. <laughs> it's a lot of sound. I really like having this huge instrument. <laughs> um, okay, so Kelly, I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what um, it's been like to work on this song and what your experience is as the singer um, to be singing um, Gretchen. You know, like, mm -hmm. I can only do so much from the piano point of view, but you actually get to say the words and sing those notes, and what's that? What is she like for you? What was that process like? Hmm. Okay, well, as a student of music, one hears this song pretty early um, in music history. It's, you know, known as the first real lead. I mean, there's more. There's stuff um, that... I just got distracted. Oh, cut, sorry. Cut this garbage out. Um, so it's something that's been in my ear for a long time, and the first time I heard it, it really, like, struck me. But working on it has been actually a challenge because I am a hardcore feminist and Gretchen is just seen as like this perfect, beautiful, wonderful thing. And it, and just her, the expectation of how she acts is so high. And I sometimes, th this song really humanizes her um, because she is sexual and it's just all over this song. By the end of the song, my heart is racing, just completely shook by this huge experience of singing all these high notes that means so much. I mean, it's really um, interesting for me to hear that because, you know, I my a lot of times my heart is racing too by the time I get there because it's like, oh man, we're trying to keep this thing together, but like not in a way that's like, oh, I'm just worried about the technical thing uh, part of it, but it's like, are we going to the same place? I mean, uh, to make it sexual again, but it's literally like we have to climax at the same time and like making sure we're like getting there together. <laughs> that is so overly sexual, but that's what leader is about most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really sorry about that, but that, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, that is the glory of what we have in this, in this song and how it's so effective and uh, it pulls out all this thing that's like kind of primal and, and for us to both be in this thing together, it's a feeling like nothing else, honestly, um, all jokes aside, like it, it's really, really cool to get to that, to that place. And also my heart is racing because we've just, you know, created this thing together, um, and, and to know that, you know, people have been having this experience with it throughout, you know, the last 200 years, I, I always find that, you know, it's not just playing, oh, it's not just another Gretchen, you know, to me, it's like, oh, I 
get to do this again. Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, I, I have to play this piece again that everyone knows. You know, it's um, it's really exciting. I do always get a little bit nervous from a piano point of view because there are a couple of like, like sticky little um, turns with the notes and mm -hmm. I actually um, definitely messed up near the beginning um, <laughs> of a song which um, you the lovely listeners will uh, get to enjoy so um, <laughs> but my pride just kind of has to get over that <laughs> um, so I really really appreciate um, you and your energy and being here and like and that we got to do this thing together and and hopefully um, we'll get to do it for a live performance I mean this was a live performance but you know maybe in in recital or something at some point in time I know you'll perform it at some point in your life. Yeah, one last thing about the song. What I love is that last line, this this repetition of my Noruist hin. It gives the song life beyond the the page. Uh, it's just this never this never ending thing. Like you just see her there forever. She's been spinning since what, eighteen oh eight? So this is 18, 1814, I want to say. All right. Well, um, I think that'll wrap it up for us for today here at Follow the Leader. Um, my name is Mandy madrid -Sikic. Um, I've been here today with my co-host, Deborah Wood, and lovely mezzo-soprano um, Kelly Guerra. If you like what we're doing here, please follow us, um, subscribe to us on Stitcher, Spotify. Um, hopefully, we're on iTunes. Been having a bit of uh, trouble getting that up and running, but we'll get there eventually one day if you like if you'd like to follow me and my various um leader um activities you can follow me on instagram at madrickets at madrickich that's m-a-d-r-i-k-i-c-h thanks for joining us today and we'll catch you next time if you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.